Well, an opportunity for us this week on the OHL podcast to take a look at uh, something happening, I guess you could say, off the ice, but we want to see more of it on the ice because there's a popular phrase lately that hockey is for everyone. And we're starting to see that. Really happy to say that in the Ontario Hockey League, we're seeing more and more pride nights. Uh, The Oshawa Generals, dare I say, leading the charge on that last year, particularly with their social media account. My buddy Brandon, they're doing some terrific work. But the reason we have this conversation today is because the National Hockey League has taken a rather, well, I'll just call it absurd stance, quite frankly, on pride nights, the wearing of jerseys, even pride tape on a player's sticks. So very happy to be joined by the co-founder of Pride Tape itself, Dr. Christopher Wells, joins the program. Chris, really appreciate your time on this, and thanks very much for joining us. Oh, it's my pleasure. It's uh, it's an important story to be talking about. It really is. And when I when I think of what Pride Tape has done for the 2SLGBTQ plus community in terms of making it feel more included in this game that so many of us hold near and dear, I, I might go as far as to say it's a heroic effort. So on that superhero theme, what's the origin story, Chris, of Pride Tape? How did this all come to be? Well, it, it really came from uh, working alongside uh, LGBTQ young people for many years. I started my career as a, as a classroom uh, teacher and, and then was uh, a volunteer in our local LGBT youth group called Youth Understanding Youth here in, in Edmonton. And uh, that's uh, really what led me back to university to pursue graduate studies was to figure out how to make uh, safer schools and communities for these young people. So they weren't just places where they were trying to survive, but places where they could thrive and be themselves and find support and pursue their their hopes and, the, and their dreams for the future. And so uh, we, we started looking at some of the research literature and in particular in, in sport and uh, team sports, we noticed that young gay and bisexual boys were dropping out of organized team sports at much younger ages than their heterosexual peers. And so I really pointed to the problem of often the locker room, right? And the kinds of uh, homophobic, um, hyper-masculine, sexist, misogynistic language that has uh, often been used to Um, reify or portray a very particular kind of masculinity, right? The boys don't cry kind of thing, you know, tough it out. We don't talk about our feelings or our emotions. Um, And so um, Pride Tape really came as this idea of how do we create these safer spaces? And and it really was designed as an intervention to disrupt the, the homophobia, the heteronormativity, as we call it, that assumption that everybody is heterosexual or straight, Right. And if we didn't have that default assumption that no one would ever need to come out because it just wouldn't matter. Right. Everybody would just be accepted for who they are. But um, and so, you know, we had a number of campaigns that that we looked at. Uh, uh, and then when I saw, you know, our, our 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 creative, brilliant team, including Jeff McLean, who who worked at a at a marketing you know company and, and they donated all their services pro bono because they really believed how important, you know, this this idea was. Pride tape really, um, you know, struck me because, you know, it takes a complex message and makes it really simple, right? You can wrap your stick and show you're an ally without having to say any words. 
And so that was really, it was like a badge of support uh, to say, you're not alone here. There are people who care about you because also wrapping your stick is, is very intentional, right? Like it just doesn't happen by accident. So this is really where we're allowing allies to identify themselves in these maybe, um, you know, hostile spaces. And ultimately for these young people to know that, you know, I'll, uh, we want them to know that the game that they love, loves them back and that there are people who will support them. And, you know, if they dream to be the next uh, Connor McDavid, well, then there's going to be a space and a place for them because uh, think about it, right? When they're being pushed out or they tune out or they drop out of, of organized team sports, you know, we might be losing the next Connor McDavid. We might be losing the next Sidney Crosby because it was never about their ability. It was about their acceptance, right? And and their safety and their feelings like, yeah, I can belong here. I can bring my full self, right, to my team and into the sport uh, that I love and uh, not have to spend all of that energy just trying to hide and trying to survive. I love that point you just made on the intentionality of taping one's stick. It had never occurred to me. And you just mentioned this, and I was just outside the locker room at a game on the weekend. I saw a player, and he had an interesting style, I guess, of taping the stick. So it kind of caught my attention. And then it, it occurs to me now when you say that, Chris, that if you are taping that stick with pride tape, even in that moment for that 45 seconds, minute and a half, whatever it takes them to tape the stick, they're probably thinking about why they're putting pride tape on there well we we have an unofficial motto at pride tape that that simply says we make tape you make it powerful right uh, and it and and some would question like what can a symbol actually do um but for us it's never was just about the tape but it was about the conversation the space that the tape created uh, to enable right somebody to reach out, uh, somebody to know that they're they're not not alone in 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 their sport, for example. So the power really comes through that that conversation space that gets created. So pride tape was nothing more than you know what we might say from an academic perspective, uh, a possibility to interrupt, right, to to do things differently and and create a a, a different kind of culture or environment. It's not lost on me that Pride Tape became what it is through the efforts of a Kickstarter campaign. You talk about Jeff McLean and the pro bono marketing services, and I know there were countless others that I wouldn't even be able to list, nor you probably. But what does that tell you, Chris, about how ready we were for this interruption in the hockey culture? Yeah, absolutely. And that was really the, the power is that, uh, you know, Pride Tape is not some big uh, company. It's uh, it's really a grassroots collective. In fact, you know, we distribute the tape out of one of our team members garage, right? When orders come in, like some people think we're this big company and, and or we've been accused of trying to profit off of these issues. In fact, right, every dollar that's made off Pride Tape goes back into us donating tape back into the community or getting out to community events because we want Pride Tape to be everywhere because the moment we no longer need pride tape will show that you know we've been successful in in shifting and changing the culture but um even that kickstarter campaign one thing we found out right when we when we had this idea for pride tape well it's it's great to have an idea but to put it into reality is quite something else and in fact uh, we went to the hockey tape manufacturers and they told us 
it was impossible to put six colors on one roll of tape, but it had never been done before. And then we told them why we were doing it. And they said, hey, wait a minute, this is important. We want to we want to help you with this. We want to get behind you with this. So uh, I also found out we couldn't produce one roll of tape, like our minimum order was 10,000 rolls. So, uh, you know, it, it became like where we really needed to reach out into the community. And, and rather than just, you know, tap on, uh, you know, corporate doors or sponsors to help make Pride Tape a reality, it is really those five and $10 donations that came from, you know, people all over the world who saw the Kickstarter campaign. And in fact, the very last donation that put us over the top of our goal you know, with our with our time running out came from Brian Burke and his family in honor of their son, Brendan. They really came behind this. And and Brian, you know, said to us when I talked to him about Pride Tape, he's like, only in the way Brian Burke can say it, he's like, how the hell did you manage to come up with this, right? Like, count me in. This is effing brilliant, right? And he was a real champion because here was a Mr. Hockey guy, part of that old boys club and that network, now talking about these issues because of course he had been personally touched by these issues in such a profound and powerful way and and none of us can you know imagine the the, the tragedy of losing you know a child and really wanting to honor Brennan's legacy through this work and went on to found that the you can play project with his son Patrick and that was really you know the entry point and pride tape just became another tool to enable that conversation and the great work that you can play and so many others have been doing right to get into those teams and those locker rooms but pride tape just became that that visible way to begin to talk about all of these issues and, and the kind of education that uh, still needs to happen to this day well Clearly, it still needs to happen. And before we talk about that elephant in the room, which is really what precipitated this conversation, can you put in perspective for us, Chris, the space that not only Pride Tape, but you can play Pride Nights across the NHL, the Ontario Hockey League, in the game, that it created the feeling, the sense of inclusion that those specific nights also created? Well, you can't understate it enough uh, about, you know, not only bringing important visibility, but, uh, you know, the kind of conversation, inviting people into a sport that have traditionally been, you know, excluded or 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 haven't felt safe in even attending a game. Um, never mind, right, being a player. And, and still, when we look at the, the NHL, still does not have a re you're retired. Now, imagine how many players have played in the National Hockey League or current player who's come out, right? That says everything about, right, the kind of environment that we're still dealing with. And, and you know, if Pride Tape can help or a Pride Night can help somebody feel more comfortable. We've heard, you know, the wonderful story of Luke Prokop and, you know, his, his incredible journey and how the entire hockey world really came around to support him. But probably now that Pride Tape's seven years old and, um, We've literally had, you know, hundreds, if not thousands of messages from people all over the world. Some of the ones that really stick out to me is, you know, from this this young teenager who who messaged us and said, uh, quite simply, Pride Tape saved my life. You know, I was despondent and suicidal. I dropped out of hockey and, you know, until my teammates found out and found out about Pride Tape and they wrapped their sticks to support me and try to invite me back into the game, knowing that I wouldn't be alone. Right. And that, you know, if we could have just helped one young person to make it through a difficult time. Well, you know, that that means everything. We we 
you know, it's not the sales figures that count. So in light of that, how disheartening is it to have heard what we heard what a month or so ago from the National Hockey League? There will not be pride nights. We don't we're not going to, you know, force this on any of our players or any of our member hockey clubs. Well, it was incredibly, you know, disappointing. And I and I think it just it's really perplexing because you know, uh, the National Hockey League had been doing so much uh, good work in terms of growing the game into new markets, new audiences, focusing in on, you know, uh, diversity. Hockey is, is, is one of the whitest sports maybe outside of golf, right, that exists. And uh, it's also one of the most expensive to to play and continue with. So, you know, it's it it streams out uh, a lot of uh, young people at very early ages who never get that that opportunity. You know, even even myself growing up uh, with a single parent and single mom, like we couldn't afford hockey. We could lucky if we could afford a pair of, uh, you know, skates and and get out and on the, the community uh, rink. Um, but you know that didn't stop us from playing street hockey and 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 engaging in all those other kinds of ways. But um, you know it was so so disappointing because it was so so backwards and it really undermined all of that great work that was happening, as you mentioned, under that hockey is for everyone uh, umbrella. But there's such a disconnect between right those who hold power, the the owners who come from a, a different generation who are all largely white heterosexual uh, men. Versus this younger generation of players who've often grown up with sexual and gender diversity, not as something they've been afraid of, but, you know, these are people they care about in their own families and, and communities and friends and, and, and neighbors and players, and they want to be able to uh, support them. So, you know, the jerseys were one step and somebody, some people felt that, well, maybe they could rationalize that because, right, everybody had to wear them as a team, nobody could really opt out or or, or, but with the tape, the tape was always optional. In fact, from us, for the very beginning, we never wanted to force the tape on anyone because we wanted to know who those true allies were, right? That intentionality of choosing to wrap your stick. We didn't want fake allies. Uh, we wanted that when a young person saw that rainbow tape, they knew if they went to that person that they were going to support them. They weren't going to question whether they were going to be safe or not, or if it was okay for them to uh, to reach out. So uh, I think that's why you've seen this international backlash against the the NHL is is um, in many ways banning pride tape was the last straw that people were going to accept. Not only does it undermine right the freedom of expression of players and show in many ways that players are just property of the owners right if you don't comply well we'll uh we're, we'll cut you from the team right if you if you speak out or we'll demote you or we'll trade you um and those send powerful message about a culture of conformity and a culture of silence and we know it's those kind of cultures that lead to also to cultures of abuse if we're going to talk about fake allies, I think the National Hockey League has shown itself to be one through this decision. And, you know, I've heard it argued, Chris, that it, really what this is demonstrating is that the National Hockey League looks at every fan or demographic of fans as a market. And this shows that the 2SLGBTQ plus market is not attractive enough or large enough for them to even worry about right now. And if we're going to change this, it's going to have to be through 
grassroots efforts, much like Pride Tape was from the very beginning here, and kind of speak with our wallets to show the National Hockey League, hang on, not only is there a significant number of people in that demographic who enjoy the game, but there are a significant number of allies who are also willing to, if I may be so blunt, give the middle finger to the National Hockey League over this decision. Well, we often see that, right, in a, in a capitalist uh, commercial product, right? It's about where do they see that they can make the most uh, profit. But, you know, th- we're seeing a case where profit maybe gets put over people and, and the right thing to do. But uh, with that rationalization that often happens, we talk about maybe, you know, on average, uh, the, the number is about one in 10 people might identify as non-heterosexual in society. Uh, but so you might see that as a small minority. Okay, I'm willing to write off 10% uh, of the population. Uh, but in fact, you know, six in 10 people have a direct connection to the LGBT community, whether it's a friend, a family member, a coworker who are invested. So in fact, it's mistaken to think that this is a minority issue. It's actually a majority issue. Uh, when you, you know, create that environment of safety for people to talk about right, their connection and why they care about, you know, this issue and um, our allies to this uh, community. Our society has, uh, you know, really changed. And I think part of what we're seeing is is this backlash to LGBTQ visibility, which whether it's pride tape or a pride flag or a rainbow crosswalk or a pride parade, um, we're seeing uh, all of these things now be quite contested and challenged with hate crimes on the rise. Um, and it, it's really sending this message, much like what the NHL has done here with banning pride tape, is about enforcing invisibility on an entire community, saying, you know, what you do at home is okay, but not out in public, right? It's not acceptable. And so we're getting this massive backlash that is largely fed by the rise of populism and what right-wing extremism throughout um, the world that we're seeing. And so this ban on pride tape is definitely all part of that larger uh, LGBT backlash, the rise of hate crimes and discrimination we're seeing in society, um, where a community right now is feeling, you know, very vulnerable. Now imagine, right, if you're, you're, you're 14 or 15 and you're thinking about, right, your sexuality or your gender identity, um, in this toxic mix, right? It keeps a lot of those people feeling very isolated and, and alienated. You know, you just reminded me something of something, pardon me, when you were talking about a pride crosswalk, a rainbow crosswalk, for example. So look, somebody like me, straight white dude, uh, might look at an issue like this and say, yeah, it's only tape. It's only a rainbow crosswalk. I was traveling this summer, Chris, and I was in a small Uh, beach town in Maine. I'm forgetting the name of it, but that doesn't matter. There was a rainbow crosswalk there. And I just happened to be crossing the street right behind this young person who could not have been happier. Like, I'm not sure their feet were on the ground when they were going across. They had friends with them. Take my picture, take this video as they walked across this rainbow crosswalk in this small town in the state of Maine. And it struck me that you never know how little perhaps it might paint on a road to make somebody feel included and seen.
exactly. It says that somebody here cares about me and cares about my community, right? And uh, that can mean uh, you know the world uh, to somebody to know exactly, right? You're not alone here. And and part of that is that intentionality, right? The status quo does not change on its own. We have to be visible. We have to be vocal. And I often say that real allies, when it you know the going gets tough and and you're dealing with controversy real allies don't back down they double down in their support and i think to your earlier point that's what's been so disheartening about the nhl we thought that they were moving and growing as allies and when a little bit of controversy came well they didn't double down they backed down right and they really moved hockey culture um i'd say you know more than just a couple steps backwards we saw just this past weekend, uh, Travis Dermott. I'd like to just, because this is the OHL podcast, shamelessly point out former Erie Otter in the Ontario Hockey League. Uh, Scott and, and Travis Dermott played with Pride Tape. Scott Lawton has already said, again, former Oshawa general, that they can find him whatever they want to find him. He is going to put Pride Tape on his stick. Are these signs that tell you that maybe there are allies that are going to step forward regardless of what the NHL says? It's, it's huge, right? And and I, I love what you said about, you know, we think about sometimes we, we focus too much on uh, the NHL. It's actually these all these amateur teams in the junior leagues that are doing the best work and the most creative work and, you know, are holding these amazing pride nights and doing their jerseys and using pride tape because these young people, again, have grown up right in that world it's not something strange to them and and they don't even see it as something courageous well in fact we know it is and so that the travis you know dermots who come and they just continue to show that support um even you know when it's at great risk to themselves and to be the first player in the in the nhl you know travis has been doing that for many years with that small one inch of of tape right on his stick to be that visible ally and he wasn't going to let this ban you know stop him but think about it you know this is not Sidney Crosby this is not Connor McDavid doing this that have all kinds of privilege and protection as the superstars in the league this is a guy you know who's often on the bubble who's been through different teams you know he's he's got a a two-way deal and he's got a lot at risk here right like you know he could easily be just um you know cut from a team um but that hasn't stopped him which i think just makes it even more powerful like you know that's somebody who is a true ally who is committed and who's uh you know very courageous right and he's not doing it for himself he's doing it because uh of a, a whole community that you know he's come to know and understand right it's it's it, people want to say it's political it's not political it's personal I've heard some fans suggest, and it's not lost on me in the context of this conversation, because we already noted how Pride Tape itself got started with a Kickstarter campaign. And some fans have said, no matter what the fine is, if there is one, I'm sure they could crowdfund to pay the fine for the player because of the the stand that they are taking on this. Do you, do you get any sense at all, Chris, that the NHL is wavering on this position? Oh, I think they ab ab absolutely are. I don't think they ever expected this kind of worldwide con condemnation, right? Let's look at it when we, we're starting a whole new season and and the, the top story, you know, of the opening night should have been uh, Sidney Crosby facing Connor Bedard. 
and uh, you know the Oilers chase for the Stanley Cup, and will the you know the Golden Knights repeat? Uh, but that wasn't the focus, right? The focus was on this uh, backwards ban of the the NHL that just overshadows the game when they're talking about everything was getting too controversial and being a distraction. Well, you know they've now manufactured the greatest distraction that they could have uh, ever seen, and so uh, you know. Um, it'll be very dangerous if they do decide to find Travis or the team, because that will just open up even a further firestorm. I think the, the NHL's biggest challenge is now is to figure out how do we possibly walk this back? And um, my, a bit of my concern in that is that they're going to try to take the, the NFL's approach where, right. The NFL just says players can have this week and, and of their home game and they can do whatever they want with their cleats and, and uh, you know support their various causes, but um, the N the NFL has 16 games right in a season, and and eight of those are home games, while there are 42 home games in the NHL, and and this notion of just lumping everything together is the most shallow form of diversity possible, right? It it's more like around oh, we're going to tolerate you, but only on our terms and conditions. We're not really going to accept or celebrate you. And that approach would actually undermine so much of the great work that the NHL teams have been doing to host all kinds of special events and cause nights, inviting communities into the arena, getting out there, um, you know, on and off the ice. In fact, right, in many ways for the teams, the players are just the 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 most visible part of everything that they're doing around those nights. But the stories that they get to tell and the voices that they get to amplified and so if we're just going to shrink that down to a handful of of games um you know it really would show me that the the nhl is not interested in any kind of systemic or real kind of change that this just becomes another sort of pr exercise um to be able to backpedal from what um has turned into a absolute a disaster for them to that end uh Brock McGillis, who is openly gay, was not though while he played, and now an outspoken advocate for the 2SLGBTQ plus community, uh, and, and actually a previous guest uh, on this podcast some time ago. Great guy. I consider him a friend now to this day. But, but he has suggested, Chris, that he would rather not see uh, any organization forced, for lack of a better word, into doing this, because then it becomes far more performative than anything else how can we assign a value let's say to the national hockey league making space for a deliberate pride night yeah absolutely it's got to be authentic and it's got to be you know genuine and the best way to do that is to get out and connect with those communities that are impacted the most they'll tell you what is the most meaningful and has the most value, you know, to them work alongside, you know, in partnership, but, but sports teams have never been good at doing that. Right. Especially the, the, the community teams, absolutely. The amateur teams, they get it, they understand it. But when you get to the professional um, levels, it's a lot of it is it's our way or the highway, right? Like we do it on our terms and you're lucky to get an invitation to be able to, uh, participate but we know that 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 is just in in many ways it is just performative you're just ticking a box say, saying okay well we we've checked off this group now we've checked off this group now um but i i think that's where you really want to leave it up to the teams to know their communities the best and 
really the NHL should just be the enabler to support those teams to do the work uh, in their local communities that they think is the most important. Luke Prokop's name came up earlier, obviously, for obvious reasons in a conversation like this. Are we going to get there? Chris, and, and by there, I mean, are we going to see, I want to be that optimistic guy. I'm in my 50s now. Not only have I not seen the Leafs win a Stanley Cup in my lifetime, but I have not yet seen an openly gay professional hockey player. Are we going to get there? We'll get there, absolutely, because uh, the young people are already there, right? And they are the future uh, of the game. But it's these kinds of, of moments like banning pride tape. Now, imagine if you were an NHL player or coming up the ranks and you saw that and maybe you were thinking about coming out, right? Well, that just slams the closet door back to you saying, all right, okay, well, I thought the league was going to be supportive and ready, but their actions sort of say otherwise. So, um, you know, uh, I think that, you know, that's probably to me, the most upsetting is the message it's actually saying to their own players and to future players, Never mind, you know, out to the rest of the world and the, and the community, because, Oftentimes in, in hockey, that's all noise, right? It's just what happens with the team, what happens inside the league. That's the focus, right? They often say everything else is a distraction from what happens on the ice. I think back to one of the the, the best stories I heard was when uh, Mark Tewksbury, our famous Olympian uh, athlete and swimmer, um, one of our, our proud Canadians, and you know he relates the story that after he came out, right, despite all the amazing training he did, uh, that's what improved his, his times, right? And made him an Olympian to stand on the podium because all that internal psychological stress and pressure, that weight came off of him and he could just focus on being the very best athlete he could be. And that made him an Olympian, a champion. And so now, right, it's no different than um, our players in the NHL or players in, in any sport. If you have to spend a large amount of your time trying to think about, is it safe for me to be out or not be out or trying to, to manage or hide your identity rather than just focus on the game, particularly at these elite levels, as we say, right, where the smallest thing can be the biggest competitive uh, advantage. Um, so... I think, you know, that's another individual factor that we really have to consider is how do we best support these uh, tremendous athletes to to not only be themselves, but to be the very best version of themselves. Because that door has been slammed shut again, however, temporarily, I, like you, believe that the National Hockey League will figure something out it'll be really interesting to to find out what that is but we'll let them worry about that but because that door has been slammed at least for the time being chris what message would you give to the people that are hurt most by that door being shut in their face again you're not alone there's a there's an entire community that uh, supports you will stand beside you will fight alongside you um and uh you know sometimes uh Changes change is hard and change is something that we have to fight for. I often say at the end of the day, we get the communities that we're willing to build. And I think, again, that's why you've seen this tremendous kind of backlash where people are realizing, you know, we need to step up. We need to uh, be more vocal. We need to even be more visible. Do you ever stop yourself and think back on the past seven years or so of your journey since Pride Tape? was launched, what it went through to get to where it's at, and then 
here we sit today having this conversation it, it, really on on what we could argue with the National Hockey League being involved is the largest of stages for Pride Tape. How does that make you feel? Are you amazed by this at all? Uh, yo, absolutely. For us, the NHL was never the ultimate goal. We knew that that would bring the most visibility. But right, it's it's in the community that the real change will happen. And as I mentioned before, all of the, these amazing stories, you know, um, story of uh, a ten-year-old uh, peewee hockey team that all uh, used a pride tape to support their gay coach, right? And uh, so, you know, here we're talking about the kids that are leading the way in terms of inclusivity and and creating those environments that are that are safe and and supportive so it's been the beauty of these thousands of small messages because that's how social change happens social change is not about any one individual um it is about right uh, thousands of people coming together over time right to, to bring forward the change that's needed and so as I, I often say, you know, you can ban pride tape all you want, but you're never going to be able to ban pride. You know, and, and I love that looking outward, Chris, but I mean, you are the delivery system here, right? We, we have access to pride tape and we can, to go back to what we said earlier, intentionally wrap our sticks with it. I don't think we can understate the value of that. Uh, you know, absolutely. Um if we're not intentional in our interactions and, and thoughtful about them, well, then change can't happen, right? That's, it's really, you know, that, that simple. We have to sort of name what's happening and then we have to reflect upon what are we going to do about it? But ultimately at the end of the day, right? If we want change to ha happen, we have to take action to bring forward that change. And so um, that's why we've often said to people, right? This, this, this whole thing is not about tape. Right. Even though you want to make it think it's about tape, it's about so much more than tape. It's actually about, you know, human rights. And and for us, you know, in this role of uh, pride tape, we like to say Canada is known for for two big things all across the world. One is hockey and the other is human rights. And what happens when you put them together in one roll of tape? Well, you have something really special and something really powerful. Are you uh, getting used to all the media attention yet? Probably not. It's obviously not for the best of reasons, but I know you've been a busy guy over the past couple of weeks. Well, you know, I, I mentioned our, uh, one of our team members, uh, you know, distributing tape out of out of the garage, and I don't think he's even slept over the past uh, uh, week. There, we've seen in you know record numbers of uh, requests for pride tape. You know, it doesn't surprise me, right? Controversy always brings attention, and it brings. Uh, of visibility, but, uh, you know, I've been astounded by how the hockey world has almost unilaterally come um, behind uh, Pride Tape to say that this is just wrong, right? And that people who normally would not speak out in the hockey world are speaking out, whether they're broadcasters or they're players or they're coaches or even, you know, teams. We've even had NHL teams place orders for Pride Tape. Well, the ban is on. They're looking for ways to be able to signal and show their support. If they can't do it on the ice, well, they're, it just redoubles their efforts to do it off the ice in, in bigger and better ways. And I know I haven't heard of one team that is backing away from hosting a Pride Night. I hope that the next time you and I have occasion to talk, it's about the big, bad National Hockey League walking back its uh, goofy Pride tape 
Man, Chris, I've really enjoyed this conversation. I love the work that you do. Thank you very much for making time for us here on the OHL podcast. It's my pleasure. Jeff Woods, and I'm shining a light on music and the rock stars who make it. He just was one of those people, he, he stood out. He was a magic guy. He really was a magic guy. All, we all have force. He had the same amount of force as we all have. This was before Led Zeppelin. Robert was full on. I mean, he was Led Zeppelin without the band behind him. He had the hair, the jeans, the whole thing, you know? And he was amazing. The Records and Rockstars podcast, heard around the world and yours to hear wherever you get podcasts. All the episodes from jeffwoodsradio.com. Another Sound Off Media Company podcast.